Hello all and welcome to the Once Upon a Night podcast. I am so excited today to have my guest, my friend, my colleague, Mr. Orain Williams. Sorry, because it's like I just want to call you O, but I want to be formal here and introducing you by your name. So today we're going to talk about a poetic word. You are now a published author, my friend. I am. How does that feel? It's still feels surreal. First of all, I want to thank you for bringing me on your show. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm still soaking it in. It's still surreal. Um, still got to get used to that that title of being an author. Right, because it's now one that you can add to your resume, but not only like just add, right, like taking away from adding it to your resume, like there is something just so grandiose. <laughs> To right to be able to just like now say yes, I am a published author, I'm you know, author. and I do have a copy of the book in front of me. I'm not able to show the audience because we're not uh, recording visuals yet, and the cover is beautiful. Thank you. I love this little dude, like you know, on the top <laughs> of a mountain with a mic and a book on um in his hand, and yes. so it's called a poetic word. Can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about? The inspiration, the inspiration behind, yeah. Well, first of all, let's let's hold on. I want to take it a step back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Can you tell us who Orain Williams? Yes, is? I can. Hi, everyone. So my name is Orain Williams. I am a social worker. I am also a life coach. I am also a man of God, and I'm also a poet. Poet, and I guess now I can say an author. <clears throat> but who I am, I'm, I'm someone who likes to write. I enjoy writing. I enjoy encouraging other people um, through language, through tone, through, tone, through um, expressing empathy. And, um, and I do that through writing, through my, my role as a social worker. I am really big on um, providing people the opportunity to grow or showing people the opportunity, the opportunity or the, the guidance of what they need to grow personally. Um, and professionally in their life. So a lot of what I do and a lot of who I am um, comes with just uplifting other people and building them. And I feel like I just wanted to to extend that aspect of who I am. And this is why we have. A so, yeah. So interesting. Right. Because I say that, you know, we are servants. Right. We we yes. are in the business of helping others. Mm-hmm. And many times being a helper and being a servant of others and the public, we kind of tend to lose ourselves and our own own voices because generally we we are in a position to help uplift others Mm -hmm. and to help others really, you know... um, lift their voices right and and their shockers where i think many of us have been silenced as children many of us have this blockage where maybe there was a time where you know we were a little bit more mm-hmm. vocal mm-hmm. and depending on our upbringings or depending on our gender roles right we were silenced yeah. and you know you have now created 
this book, a poetic um, word, right? And my assumption is it's also because it allows you to lift your voice yes. and share yes. wisdom yeah. with others. So tell us more about <clears throat> a, a poetic word. So um, definitely to add on to what you say, I, be, I do believe that me publishing a poetic word it wasn't also an opportunity for me to get my voice back and to also give authority and power to my voice. Um, the book speaks a lot um, metaphorically about some of the challenges that I have overcame or I'm still going through or go through in cycles because as we know, life is cycles. So in the book, you know, I, I have poems that speaks on real life situations such as addiction, homelessness, um, struggling with your fate, with God, um, losing friendships, being in a relationship. So like I incorporate those um, experiences in my poems while providing um, biblical intelligence and life skills on how to navigate those. So we all can talk about it. Um, you know, anyone can get up and talk about addiction from like a personal um, experience standpoint or from watching it on TV. But what are we offering after we talk about such a heavy topic? So one of the things that I wanted to do in that in this book is like give a part of myself by telling my story. Um, be transparent. Talk about aspects such as like homelessness or addiction that people don't normally get to hear from me on a daily day basis but also giving them the wisdom on how I navigated that situation, how I navigated homelessness, how I navigated um, addiction, how did my relationship with God or my um, my consistent routine of prayer um, work as a source and a tool to help me get through life. So the book really talks about the challenges of life and, and tools that can be used to get through to them and I and I think one of the things I like about the book as well I share my a lot of my story in it without it being like a biography <laughs> so right because like I guess meta. yeah my next question was like many take the route of their memoir right yeah. right composing and putting together uh, a memoir and I know also you know in my journey I took a piece of my story mm -hmm. and also crafted a, a part of that story in a collabor yeah. collaborative book, right? And, you know, I touched on, I think, probably a traumatic event that happened to me as a teenager transitioning into, like, womanhood, right? Mm -hmm. um, I do appreciate, though, because I, I also find myself to be a poet. It's something that I used to write. I used to love writing poems many, mm -hmm. many years ago and kind of put a pause on that. But the fact that you have metaphorically created, right, words to tell your your story, yeah. to shape your narrative, as well as um, incorporating the Bible, yeah. right? So for someone, let's say someone from like me, mm -hmm. I'm not really familiar with the Bible. Right, I'm right. not well versed in right. the Bible, right? And you have your average person, mm -hmm. Joe or Jane, right? Come <laughs> and purchase your book. Is it is it so biblical that you mm -hmm. won't be able to make a connection with the particular story in the Bible right. and now your story? Right. So I actually love that question. Um, and actually, I love that question. And also, for me, it was also one of my insecurities in, in, in publishing this book. I was just like, I want this to reach everyone. And I know everyone doesn't, is not, you know, doesn't read the Bible or not um, knowledgeable of what's, of the content in it. And so my thing, I didn't want to lose anyone in, in this. 
So what I, I make sure I it didn't do the book is definitely readable. Even for someone that doesn't have biblical um, intelligence, if anything, it gives more insight. For, so, for example, someone. So, what I so I'm a, I, I enjoy reading the book of Psalms in the Bible because it's very poetic. But you know, I feel like we can read the Bible. For example, everyone may know the twenty third Psalms: "The Lord is my shepherd," and we can read that very casually. But how do we apply that wisdom in our life? Now I know the Lord is my shepherd. Like, what does that look like? Mm -hmm. So I feel like so. There's a poem in the book that's called "I Shall Not Want." And in that poem, is like, I am literally breaking down the things in physical life that I won't want. I won't be lack. I won't lack of like love. I won't be lack of like family and support. I won't be lack of like financial blessing. Like, you know, there will be a roof over my head. There will be a food on my table despite COVID-19, despite um, people who are dying, despite this whole thing. I shall not want it. And then that, that confidence I have. And then what I did, I was able to, in the end of that poem, the biblical reference is Psalms 23. And I said, the Lord is my shepherd. So what I did was I kind of like give life to what does the Lord is my shepherd look like? Cause we can easily read that. Anyone can get the brain read that, but what does it look like in right. my real life, in the life of somebody who doesn't read the Bible every day? What does the Lord being your shepherd look like? So I kind of outline in that poem, I shall not want just the simplest things that we may not lack, like food on our table, shoes on our feet, mm -hmm. um, a roof over our head, mm -hmm. friends to say, I love you. Those simple things are things that we don't mm -hmm. lack. And, book, and then I bring it back to me, hey, the Lord is your shepherd. Because you have a shepherd, you didn't lack these things. Gotcha. Somebody's watching over you. Okay. I, I want to also go back because, you know, you mentioned about addiction and you mm -hmm. mentioned about homelessness. Um, and that's definitely part of your narrative yes. and, and your story, yes. right? Do you ever think about that those experiences as traumatic and probably horrible that they were, were in preparation to prepare you to be <laughs> able to pen these words today? I definitely see them as preparation. Now, in the moment of going through them, even the aspect of going through homelessness, while I was going through that, I did not see any good in this. I'm like, this could not be. We never anything. see the good never in the moment, right? Now that, now that I'm in the, 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 the role of like a social worker, now I see what I experience is like now that I'm in the role of um an author, now I see what I can bring from those experiences. What it allows me to bring is a lot of empathy, um, different perspective, uh, um, um, a way to write in such a way that people can I invite people in my shoes. And I believe that is with is the experience with homelessness and the experience with addiction that kind of allow me to remain what's the word I'm looking for? empathetic and human right. in what I write. Right. Because there's a lot of times we can experience so many things in our life and, and when we give a narrative to it, we sugarcoat it and it takes away from the human in us. And I didn't want to take away from the fact that I'm a human being, but I'm, I'm a strong human being. Exactly. And you're a black man. And I'm a black man. And, and a black Caribbean man. What the blood, <laughs> right? Um, I love that. I love it. Um, you know, I have so many questions, but I think, you know, talking about the human aspect and allowing yourself to become vulnerable, yeah. right? Because, you know, there was a time where I looked at vulnerability as a weakness. Mm -hmm. 
And now I'm just actually the strength is in vulnerability. vulnerability. It's in transparency for me. It's in being able to tell your story and no longer walking with the shame. The shame. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um how long and, and this might sound like a rhetorical question, but mm-hmm. how long do you think it took you to pen this this story and this book? To be honest, Mr. Williams, <laughs> I think I've been penning this for a very long time without knowing. Um, so I've been writing poems since I was a child, as young as 12. I've been writing poems like I have, like books and book of poems. There are poems in that book today that are poems that was written when I was 16, wow. 15, 17. I'm, t- I'm 29. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, they were edited and tweaked because, you know, I have better language now, right. better, better vocabulary. But they, so I, I do have a film that I've been right. All these little small poems I was writing here and there, and those little topics that I wrote about in my journal. I'm someone that I write in my journal and I try to do it on a daily basis. When I can't write it, I'm, you know, recording it via voice. And a lot of the things that are in my poem, my book, I was able to pull from my journal writing. I was able to pull from my journal recording. So I have been writing this book for a very long time without even knowing. Um, I started a blog called A Poetic Word um, at apoeticword.com and I started the blog a year ago. And when I looked at the blog two months ago I was just like wow I have like 80 poems right oh, here wow. so what I was doing I was able to pull some poems from the blog and also some poems from what I was writing as a child which includes some of the poems I was writing since I was 16 is also on the blog so it's like I've been writing this since high school since 12 years old and like not knowing that me stirring these poems and putting them aside that I would be able to come back and like edit them and use them and they would be in a book so you was already so, building so was already and shaping building and, and shaping. yeah without without knowing it and now yeah. you have an actual physical copy, copy of the final print and the final work yeah, right it's right. out in the world can you share with us what that felt like the moment that you knew it was completed and it was going out into the world i felt happy i felt happy because when i started doing this book i prayed a lot i prayed a lot i said god i want this to bless people for me it like of course everyone wants to make a profit from what what they put their talent to but for me it was something different about this book for my first book i thought i would i would have been more excited about like okay i'm gonna make money this is an income nah it was sort of like i want this to bless people like i'm already thinking about like getting a few copies of my book and sending it to my clients who are in the the, the, the prison i was gonna ask that, that. yeah, yeah like, if I'm you were gonna yeah. gift um some I'm of your definitely, clients i already yes. bought um five books to send to rikers island to some of my mm-hmm. clients so they can have that to mm-hmm. read it i'm gonna sign it for them for me i was happy because i'm like yes this is something that can bless other people this is transparency that can heal people i do believe that there is healing and transparency and in that i also felt nervous at the same time because i know that i am being transparent in the book like i'm showing another side of me Um, i'm showing my faith i'm coming out with my faith i'm being confident in my faith and my belief and even those were all like scary moments for me but when i focus on how like my story and my transparency and i said i know that somebody's gonna be able to relate to this and because they can relate i know that it will have access to their heart to help them heal and And when 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 did you start finding like your faith 
I started finding it so a very long time. So I grew up in the church. I grew up with my grandmother. I call her a praying grandmother. <laughs> so I grew up with my grandmother. I grew up with a praying grandmother. And we would go to, she would take me to church with her um, most Sundays. But one thing I remember was every night and every morning, uh, my grandmother would kneel at the side of the bed with me and we would pray. It's like, I felt like, I'm not going to say it was mandatory. It felt devotional. Like, I just remember as a kid growing up, every night, because I used to sleep with my grandmother, we would mm-hmm. pray together in the night. She would give me the opportunity to pray. Then she would pray. And same thing in the morning. I remember going around and I was like praying for my grandmother. Friend. And this is as young as like six, five oh, years wow. old, seven. Mm-hmm. So I was pretty young. So I feel like my fate there um, started as a young age, but I had moments where like I was like stuck in my feet, like I am like, mm, like I don't know what to do, like you know I want to be in the world, like what does this mean? So like I have gone through moments where like I felt like I strayed away from my fate, and then coming back, coming back. But it was I feel like it was so rooted in me as a child growing up that even in those moments when I felt like I strayed away from my fate, when hardship comes, I knew immediately to pray. Okay. <laughs> I knew immediately what So that to was do. your go-to. So that was <laughs> to my matter. go-to. To like, I don't care. I'm mm-hmm. crying, I'm praying. I'm mm-hmm. fighting, I'm praying. Everything, I'm praying. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's what kind of like kept my faith going because I had like a praying connection. What's something... All right, before I go to that, but mm-hmm. you know, I, I think you're talking about the prayer and uh, my son and I, we pray together every night. We take turns, right? But I don't really recite anything, Mm -hmm. you know, from the Bible because I don't know the Bible. But our prayer focuses on giving thanks. It's always more about like, what are you thankful for um, today, right? And trying to stay in the present moment. And what's interesting is that I've been doing this for years now, way before my son was born, but incorporated it with my son. So I could, I guess I could kind of like not train him, but Mm -hmm. have him understand from an early age what faith looks like and just what giving thanks looks like. And it's very hard for me. I have tried to go to bed without praying. It's hard. And it is so <laughs> hard. hard. And I hear, like, I feel like the Conviction. universe, God, whoever Conviction. is like, you better say something. And it's like, I can't even say it in my mind. You like, I have loud. to say it out loud. And wow. it's the weirdest That's relationship <laughs> feeling. Though. It's the weirdest That's thing. And I was like, I wonder if other people... It's, feel that way. It's, 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 I do get it. I do feel that way. Like, I have a routine where every month, for the last couple of years, I've been waking up and praying with my grandmother at seven o'clock every morning. We do that. And there are times when, like, she's calling me and I'm like, tired. And I'm like, God, like, I'm going to miss this one because I'm tired. <laughs> I had this feeling, you better wake up and answer that phone. Right. It's like there's a, there's a voice. It's like there's over a you. voice. But mm-hmm. I feel like that's, when we can experience it, I feel like that's a good thing because it just says that we have a relationship with God. Like okay. he wants to hear from me. Like, how dare you go to? It's like being with somebody and you're about to go to sleep and not telling your partner good night. Good night. Right. You're about to go to sleep and I say good night, and we in the same house. Right. Like, what's and I going and on? I say I've done it on purpose. <laughs> like I've done it to test myself, to test and then I'll stay a few seconds, you know, without saying anything, and I just See, like you have I to. have to. I can't it's, do it's it. It's a good place to be though, mm-hmm. and I feel like that is one is evident that you know it's a relationship and God wants to hear from you because He's checking you. Mm-hmm. Be like, yo, like. Yeah, like, what's up? What's going on? It's conviction. Like, right. you ain't say goodnight. 
You're about to go to sleep. You do you want to wake up tomorrow morning? Right. And then I'm like, oh, if I don't say something, I might not wake right. up. Right. Which is not true. Yeah, He's still going to wake you up. I know. But I love the fact that you say, you know, you feel convicted when you don't pray. Because I get that too. And it's just an exact, it's just an evident that we have a relationship to the God that we are praying with, which is an amazing thing. Because people could pray routinely and don't have that relationship. And I love the fact that you said that your prayer focuses on Thanksgiving. That is so good. Because when you, when we hear people talk about praying, it's very, it's very seldom. It's not very often you hear people talk about praying and just giving straight Thanksgiving. It's always a request. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even feel comfortable yeah, for requesting. Request. And always if I request. do request something, it's more of like, Please humble me to a place, right? Please strip me to a core of just yeah. like understanding because I don't get the situation. I don't, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it is, but I'm actually not even comfortable asking for something because I believe, or, or my ask is never anything monetary. It's, it's never, it's personal always game, like right? guidance, like like it's, help guide me through this this process and this wow. journey of life. It's so funny <clears throat> that you pray that way, but yet and and then yet you don't know much about the Bible. And it's so funny, I'll believe my rap because that's how the Bible encourages us to pray. Exactly how you're doing of giving thanks, which is so funny mm-hmm. that they enter into his gates with thanksgiving. So even hearing you say that, you know, I didn't want to ask him for like I just want to just say thank you. A lot of people, even people who read the Bible on a regular basis, don't get that concept. Now, is your is your book something that you would say that maybe someone can use as like that Bible as and I, and whether it's for prayer yeah. or whether a, a point of reference if if they're struggling with something. Yes, they I can, do. I do mm-hmm. believe. I, so I do believe that the book can also be a platform that introduce people to the Bible slowly, giving them a concept. One of the things that I understand when you read the Bible that it's, it's hard to understand. Some of the words, I don't even know how to pronounce them. I'm yeah, reading the Bible. I, I have a dictionary. Yes, I have a di- <laughs> Right. Like, is this still in Greek? Did you forget to in, um, translate this? So sometimes I'm reading the Bible and I have um, dictionary and stuff there. But I do feel like this book can, like, a slow introduction to the Bible, especially for someone who um, hasn't read it or don't have any concept. Or it's just like, I read it, but I don't know what to do. I feel like that's a slow introduction i also feel like it could be a point where people could get prayer point from because i talk about stuff in about in in this book like heart posture and like i talk about stuff like lamentation lamentation is a form of praying and in lamentation i talk about being transparent to god and telling him so like there i in the book people can get techniques on how to approach prayer and how and then they will see how it's the tone of prayer in the book. And then it would build a sense of confidence that, oh, I can pray like this too. I can say this. I can talk openly. So it does offer not only biblical intelligence, but techniques on how people can approach prayer and just conversation with God. Um, like I, try to say, I read a book called Conversations with God yeah, many years ago. Like it's just yeah. conversation with God. Like I, a thing for me, one of the things I want to do with the book is just to show people that prayer is not always this formal thing of like, Closing my hand, good. Right. I can like how I'm talking to you right now. I sit in my couch and talk like this with God. That's prayer for me. Right. So I brought different tones and example of like relationship with God, so people can go 
in it and being their authentic self and also go through life and their struggles being their authentic self and their creativity i'm so big on authenticity and transparency that i feel like it took over the book <laughs> That's yeah, the i'm, I'm so the book. i'm so big on it too i don't know if it's a social worker thing you know i think many years ago i probably you know had a few individuals mm-hmm. that may have looked at me as like probably being too transparent and i think it's when i finally found my voice yeah. right um where i'm not really ashamed that there's not really anything that I feel like I can't talk about in my life or in my own personal story, right? Because I always feel like you never know what you could share with someone that they may be silent about, that it will be that moment that that empowers or encourages them to open their mouth for the first time, right? Um, Why now? Why did you decide to release this now? I feel like it's on time. Time is a generic um, a response. Generic yeah, I want you to dig a little bit deeper. <laughs> like, what? When was that moment that you said, "You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do this." It was after I looked. I looked around. And I was like, "Okay, I have all of these poems. They're blessing me when I read them." I felt. I felt selfish with the talent. I felt selfish with this gift. I consider it a gift because I can not to toot my horn when when it comes on me to write. I can write at least five or six poems in 30, 20 minutes with like the edits and everything. Mm -hmm. So it's like, there's no way that I can have this gift and it's just for me to sit and read my own poetry. Like, I feel like I should be doing more with this. And I wanted to be at a place where I wasn't selfish with God, what the gift that God has given me and find a way to give it back to the world. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, you know, I start the blog. The blog was the first step of doing that. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw that, you know, the blog had enough content, I was like, okay, I want to, I want to read, I want, I'm like, I need this to be in somebody's hand in their Mm -hmm. home. Mm -hmm. I want this encouragement, this support to be in somebody's home, especially after enduring 2020, the pandemic, especially, I feel like a lot of us are still building up from that. I feel like 2020 has put a strain on the hearts of many of us. And I spoke about that in one of the poem called Heart Posture, where mm-hmm. 2020 put a strain on my heart. And I felt like I just wanted to provide an antidote. And it provided a strain, but it created a beautiful, a beautiful project, project, right? A beautiful yeah. blessing because yeah. you're right, 2020 was very hard, but it was also a time where... To produce. To produce. And and it allow you the time to, to finally do this, right? So, you know, as horrible as 2020 has been, I think that there there has been so much beauty that has come it out has. of um 2020. I want to thank you for joining me. I think that we need to continue this conversation because I just have so many more um, questions. And I just think that there's just a a deeper dive that that we can go into. What can can you share with the audience where they can get your book at? What are your social media handles? So, um, again, thank you for having me here. Thank you guys for listening. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can get a poetic word at Amazon.com. Just go to Amazon, type in a poetic word or type in Orane Williams, O-R-A-Y-N-E Williams. Also, you can access um, Poetic Word Instagram page um, on Instagram at Poetic Word. 
And I think that's my page. Yeah, all right. Awesome. Well, thank you all for joining us. Also, I'm going to be sending out a little message. I would love to hear from the audience if they have any questions, all right? Like, let's engage. Let's let's continue this conversation. Arane, I definitely want you to come back so we can, like I said, just have a a deeper conversation. And I wish you the best. Thank you so much. I am so excited for this journey that you are about to embark. I said, you know, you're about to be on this book tour. Tour, you Listen, know, you and <laughs> I'm so happy that I that that I got you at the very prime of this because one. when you blow up, the first, this is the first I got interview. this interview with you. Um, so once again, thank you for coming to the Once Upon and I uh, podcast, and we will meet again, here again, we'll speak be, I, again. I'll be back here again, guys. All right, have All a right. good one. Hello and welcome to the Once Upon a Nine podcast. I am back with my dear friend, Arane Williams. Yay! I know that we met several weeks ago and and I wanted to come back uh, for part two to continue the conversation and discussion about a poetic word because... I just, I I was left with so many questions and thoughts and just wanted to continue to go on a, on a deeper dive. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Listen, I'm excited and happy to be back um, here for part two of our discussion. Thank Um, you. So, you know, after our uh, previous discussion, I sat there and I was like, you know, I think for me, I would love to hear more about your journey with addiction and homelessness. And I also think that, you know, it speaks to the larger audience as well, because just the experience of having to go through that. Right. So first of all, like when did you first experience homelessness? I first experienced homelessness. I was 16 years old. Oh wow! I was first, yeah. I was first homeless and living in a New York City homeless shelter with my mother and my younger sister at the time. I I remember vividly the night going to the shelter system. Um, was it called Path then? Path? It still was called Path. It at was that called time? Path. Okay, yeah, it was literally called Path. Then. Is it still called Path now? It's still called Path yeah. now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I remember, like you know, my mom. We took a train. It was like at 12 a.m. in the morning. You know, my mom being from the Caribbean, there's mm-hmm. pride. We don't want no one to know that we're moving out right. into the shelter system. And I just remember sitting on the train with the bags and then seeing my mom and my sister on the other side just sitting there falling asleep on the train. And, like, I just remember having to stay awake because it was late. So, I'm like, if they're sleeping, you know, I have to be awake to protect them. And I just remember that journey um, on this the train to path and just getting there and then it being closed because we got there late so we had to like stay into a hotel oh. and for the night before so they placed us in a hotel and then my mom and I and my sister had to like go through the night there and then wake up waking up the next morning to move into 
the whole process of like, okay, now let's interview you to play situations. So my homeless experience started at 16 when I was first homeless with my mother and my baby sister. And then it took a turn when I became homeless on my own. Okay. Were there similarities? What was it the same experience to be homeless with your family versus being homeless totally different. as a young adult, right? Like yeah. on your own, because now also getting placed in a family shelter looks one way and mm-hmm. it's not the best ideal situation. Right. But I think in the work that we do, we know family shelters are definitely suited a little bit better than mm-hmm. a single yeah, man shelter, right? Single man shelter. Right? Right. And can you talk a little bit about that, that, that experience? So for me, it was definitely a different experience. It's, it's totally is because when you're homeless with family, then there's a sense of support. Then there's a sense of like, you know, we're in this together. We're going through this together. But then now when, when after I became homeless as a youth, what they call it at that time is unaccompanied youth. So when I became an, uncom- an, an unaccompanied youth, um, it felt different. You know, now I had to really navigate this this experience on my own. Now I have to really focus on school. Like I have to make myself focus. I have to get up and go to mm-hmm. go to school in the morning. And even I have to make sure that I'm submitting my schoolwork. Even when there was an access to the computer in in the shelter system, I had to speak up and say to my school, hey, like this is what I'm going through. This is why my work is late. This is why I'm late. This is why my shirt right. is crushed. This right. is why I'm sleeping in the back of the classroom because I really didn't sleep last night because mm-hmm. of the four and the five roommates that I have. And this is why, you know, I'm sitting in the back of the classroom because my stomach is growling. And I feel like if I sit in the front, everybody's going to hear because I haven't eaten the last two days because I don't want to eat the shelter food. So just like having to advocate for myself, it was totally different. There was no mom or dad to stand up at that time and say, well, this is what's going on with my son. I had to learn how to give language to my experience and advocate for myself as a, as a youth. So it was very different being homeless without the family support and then having to navigate um, school, also having to navigate being undocumented because I was oh, that's also right. undocumented that's at right. the time. Right. So, you know, it's like there was so much to navigate at the time that it would have been better doing all of that with family support even though homelessness with family without family is just not a good experience at all but um having someone to go through that experience with you kind of alleviate the pain that you didn't have to carry and the trauma you didn't have to carry right and so when getting to the part of the addiction part Mm -hmm. did the addiction start while you were in the home, yes, in I feel like, so I feel like it was my um my experience of homelessness that was the onset of like the addiction. Like I needed something to cope. Like I needed something to help me stay focused, to stay focused on, to to block out the overthinking, to block out the emotions that I was feeling, the rage as a young man. And, and just to clarify, because mm-hmm. I think addiction could be many things, many right? Things. So. Are we speaking about like substance, substance abuse so, so, or so definitely sex? About, so for me, for me, I had two bad addictions. It was substance abuse um, and sex addiction. Okay. So those two were like the outlet for me. If okay. I can't get the outlet via sex, I'm finding weed. I started off with weed. I started off um, like 
Oh, they used to call that thing in black and mine, and you know, sort of okay. small mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. and just not even know that. Oh, how, over time, how that was building up to becoming something that I'm not. I'm depending on to function and to mm-hmm. focus. I'm depending on to feel better. So, and then also, I feel like the sexual aspect of it, the sexual aspect of the addiction, was a part of me that was just yearning to to feel belong after being separated Connection. from my family right. and then having to go. I remember. I was still fairly new to America. So I had to navigate a new country by myself without family support. So it's just like there was a lot of lonely experience in that. So I feel like for me, I was able to fulfill that at the time doing sex and just like having this random sex and then like thinking that it was helping me, but then it wasn't. In those sexual encounters, mm-hmm. did so the connection that you was yearning for, the the protection, the mm-hmm. love, the hold, right, whatever it was, did it feel fulfilling in that moment when you were with a partner, or in the moment it felt fulfilling? So like in the moment when I'm able to, because it's all about me, the attention, the eyes on me. So I'm like in the moment I felt that the yearning that I had was met, okay, but then I had to keep it up, right? Because when that moment ended, it's just like. So I remember just like there were, um, you know, we transferred. <laughs> I remember there was moments when like, I just, there was a night I was like, I just had finished having sex and I just feel like that wasn't enough. And then that next time, like couple, like two hours later, I was on to the next. And I was telling them, I'm like, is this high sex drive or is this, what am I looking for? Right. Cause so they, they, it, it became to a point where, you know, you don't have to keep up that sex pattern cause and are make I used to have like a lot of friends with benefits. Right. <laughs> so for me, like friendship was screwed. Like, cause like, what is friendship? I had to re when I pulled away from that and my sexual addiction, I had to relearn what friendship looks like and boundaries over it because I, I used to have a lot of friends with benefits. So I didn't have to deal with the searching for it. So like when it was time for me to meet that need, it was easy to access. Cause I had like, Friends with benefits. I was saying. Do friends with benefits does does that work? For me, back then, back then it worked. That's all I wanted. Okay, so the so after having the sexual encounters with them or whenever you needed it, Mm -hmm. right? Whenever you needed your fix, you would get fixed, and you could separate and then still call the person like, "Hey, what's good? What's up?" And talk regular. And talk regular. regular. And there was never this. Let's go. The flirt. The flirt will be there. The flirt would be there here and there. But one, we know that we weren't in a relationship. Two, we know that there's boundary, and um, and for me, I just always mean to say it wasn't always only about me when I wanted it. It was mutual. It was a mutual mutual thing. So I try to maintain that. But yeah, me and some of my friends, we were there time we hang, hang out. We went out, walked in the city and there were moments when we hang out and it wasn't sexual. Okay. Outdoors. (laughs) (laughs) There was some reservations. There was some reservation, but thank God for healing. (laughs) And deliverance. So do you, do you touch on those themes in so the I touch work? on addiction. I touch on homelessness. I think I touch on 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 sex, but very briefly. Okay. Very briefly, but I do a lot of touching on on like the homelessness and like the family not being there. Very subtle though. I use metaphors in those right. parts. So, um, and I feel like 
I enjoyed it. I did it too because it gave it a person. It gives the reader the opportunity to to flesh this out, even even to even to a deeper content. So, like, so if I talk about um, addiction, you know, I may not be saying, "Oh, I rolled the blunt up and whatever." That that may not be out public. What I not saying that I'm afraid to right. say that, yeah. but just for poetry's sake and for it to flow. So I would say, like, you know, try to cover in my, I, you know. So I would like say a line like, you know, I remember trying to cover in my my pain or trying to cover the holes of my childhood trauma with 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 plant in a paper roll in a blunt. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, see that. Well the metaphor and because one thing I do love about poetry is that it's open for your interpretation. Yeah, right. Right. You can create the imagery. You can the words you could play on the senses. You can play on the scenery and you really just escape in your own mind with how you interpret that that language Um, is there. I didn't I didn't ask you this um, when we previously Mm -hmm. sat down, but is there do you have one favorite poem it's funny that you it's funny that you asked me that because I posted a Instagram post this morning um in promoting the book saying that you know I'm still searching for my favorite poem. Um so I don't think I have one yet, but there's a couple in there that I really just I enjoy. I enjoy. So I'm gonna throw out a, a word real quickly. Watch mm-hmm. and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Describe watch and pray. So watch and pray. So I feel like in life, we have to be vigilant. There's so many things coming towards us from work, from personal life, from the world itself. And then sometimes we are unable to pick ourselves up when we fall because we're caught off guard. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if we can be vigilant, so watching and praying is just a way of saying be vigilant in life, being mindful of what's going on, being guarded. You know, um, sound the alarm. Like you, when you see people, when you, when I think of a fort and somebody standing on the wall, when they see something coming, they sound the alarm. So watching and praying is like watching for what's to come and then praying is a sounding the alarm part. So I'm watching and I see like depression look like it's sneaking up. I'm not going to wait until it come to then start praying. I'm going to start praying before depression comes close to the wall. <laughs> right. Because you can tell. You can know. And watching and praying is also... And let's take it out of the religious con- concept. What, well, not even religious because I'm not... That's a whole different topic. Probably like a third <laughs> third visit. Third. So, so even when you think of watch and pray, I even think of it in the content of like being self-aware. Okay. Like being self-aware. Because I want to, yeah, let's take it out of like the spiritual perspective or even the biblical perspective and just talking about being self-aware, being vigilant of self and of self and your surrounding. All right. Now this one here says, and I'm just pulling random mm-hmm. words. I, I think I we're, we're going to play a little game I here. Like it. I like um, it. <laughs> the Lord is kind. Now many may not agree with that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because many may ask like, well, <clears throat> Lord, why are you putting me in this mm-hmm. situation? Right. Instead of like, thank you for putting me in this right. situation, right? right? Um, or maybe when someone loses a, a, a loved one, one um, or maybe, you know, it's... Um, 2020. 
2020, a natural <laughs> earth disaster yeah. that happens, right? Or I don't know, I woke up one day and, and I'm bankrupt or my home was right, taken, right. you know, at that point, no one is going to say, hey, the Lord, the Lord is, is kind. kind. Right, so right. elaborate. I love I love that. I love that it challenges that, that concept because I, I can see that happening. So I feel like the Lord is kind is a perspective. Um, because we can say, I could have said, <clears throat> and this is why I said the Lord is kind. I could have said, God, why did you put me through homelessness? This is, which I have said those. When I was going through it at the time, I was like, why are you putting me through this? But what I didn't allow myself to say was, you're a mean God. You're an unkind God. You are a, a, a bad God for allowing me to go through that. Because if I had maintained that perspective, then I would not, would not, see or have come to see the value of the experience of homelessness it is my experience of homelessness that pushed me to want to become a social worker it is my experience of homelessness that homelessness that gives me the ability to empathize with other and understand where they're coming from it is my experience of homelessness that convicts me sometimes when i'm seeing somebody who's really homeless begging for a dollar and i have it in my pocket and i could give it to them but i'm holding it on to go do something it's just like it's the experience so because I've learned perspective mm -hmm. to accept my experience and because I've learned that what I'm going through in life is not always for me but it's for those who I'm going to meet I can appreciate and say yes God thank you for allowing me and I've said this and still say today to go through homelessness because if I didn't go through homelessness I don't know how I would be a social worker serving the people I'm serving now because right. nine, nine out of ten of the people that we encounter as a social worker have gone through homelessness I don't know how I would have the wisdom to speak to people the way I have also when I've gone through homelessness it provided a platform to platform for me homelessness was what gave me the opportunity for my story to appear five times in a daily news article. It, it was my story of homelessness that led me in a TED Talk platform. Yes. It was my story of homelessness that gave me two TV show appearance with Oprah production um, on people. So... Go ahead with your subtle flex. Go ahead. Let's keep hearing. Let's keep hearing. So I'm just saying, <laughs> yeah. It literally, so uh, mm -hmm. it was the home. It started with experiencing homelessness. Because if I didn't go to homelessness, ain't nobody would have want me on their stage to talk. TED talk with it. What would I be talking about? So that I had to learn the the art, the heart of perspective. Mm -hmm. And then when I was able to be like, wow. All them times, God, I cursed you out and asked you, why did you make me go through that? And if I didn't go through that, then I don't know what I would be able to offer today. Right. Is your God black? I don't He doesn't have a color. I don't know. I haven't laid Does he have an accent? Yet. Does he speak Patois? He speaks every language. <laughs> okay. I, he speaks every, I know he speaks Patois. He be dropping some Spanish on me sometimes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Drop, I feel like he speaks to us and to me in what he know will understand. So there are times he give it to me in some parts world. Sometimes he give me some of the Spanish lingo because I'll be pushing out my Spanish here and there. Right. <laughs> so I'm like, I was like, you want to you wanna work on Spanish? Get up. Right. <laughs> but he would say get up in Spanish. But um, so yeah, I definitely feel like he speaks to me in different ways. And I have to be listening. How did he show up for you? How does he show up for me? Ooh. One of the ways that he showed up for me. Um, I have no loans. Oh, that was God. 
Wow. I believe strongly that was God, that someone who knew me since I was 16 years old remembered me to reach out to me when I was 27 to say, hey, I got you. I want to invest into Um, you. Let me pay off your loan and pay the rest of your tuition moving forward. And when I said, why you want to do this for me? There's a side because you're a blessing. Wow. And I want you to be able to bless others freely without worrying about roof over your head or how to live. Wow. That was, and, and so today I don't have loans. Wow. I don't have debts. That's great because that that definitely gives you some financial freedom. Freedom and and, and peace of mind. Right. So that was one way he showed up for me. Another way he showed up for me was when I was experiencing homelessness in 2010, I remember that I applied for 26 school. You know what I mean? Kid you not, 26 school. And they all waitlisted me. Not because of my grade, because I was graduating with a 91 average. I'm just throwing out. Let's <laughs> go. I'm here for yeah, the sound I'm feeling this. <laughs> but no school would accept me. And what was holding me back was the fact that I was undocumented. At the time, I didn't have a green card. I didn't have any social security number. And there was a school that I never heard of. Never applied to them. They saw my story on the news. I think it was a um some news channel and reached out to me. The president of the school called my mentor. And the president of the school spoke to me and said, "I want you to apply to our school. We have a full private scholarship to give you." I'm like, "I don't have no green card." And they said, "We'll accept you anyway, and you will deal with that later." Wow! I was able to go to school, get a full academic scholarship, private, while being undocumented. Wow. God, they, they, right. no one else could have done that. Right. I don't know the school and the present find favor to reach out to me to say so like he he shows up in so many ways that I just have to acknowledge it. Now I I heard you briefly mention about a mentor. Yes. yes. Right. I, I'm a I'm a big supporter of mentorship. <clears throat> I have taken on mentors myself. Mm-hmm. I have had mentors in my life and I believe that I don't think I could have gotten where I am mm-hmm. today in not only in my career professionally, like but also life. personally, right? And yeah. even just <clears throat> personal development with people who showed up for me, yeah. for pe- with yeah. people who were invested in me and I believe that many more need yeah. mentorship. Yeah. Um speak a little bit about, you know, how how important that relationship Listen, of a mentor is. It's one of the most important relationship in my life. I have a close it's unfortunate well, fortunately unfortunately I have a close relationship, a closer relationship with my mentor than I do with my dad. And I met my mentor when I was 16 years old. And I met my mentor because he he used to run and operate a male empowerment program for high school male living in the shelter system. So when I became homeless and I was without family support, I connected with that program. So now I had like other young men and young women around me who were going through homelessness themselves. So mm-hmm. then I had a sense of family. But my mentor, Gene, being there in that moment, having him around since I was 16 and now I'm 29, wow. <laughs> it's just like, it's crazy. You're like, like his son. I'm like his <laughs> son. Like, I, call, I was just on the phone with him and like, I am about to cancel this book signing because it's too much. And he's like, shut up and listen. And I'm like, what you saying? 
Because mm-hmm. you know he could talk to me like that. That's mm-hmm. a level I know that I'm safe there. I know that. But Gene having a mentor and especially just navigating what I had to navigate was vital. Like I couldn't, I could not have overcome any of the obstacles that I encountered as a child, and even some in my young adulthood without the support and the help of um <clears throat> support system and my mentor being a part of that support system. I'm talking about the upper, like learning things on how to be a man, how to be a black man. Like I didn't have my father around to teach mm-hmm. me that. I had to, I you know, I was watching TV and learning how to be a man from what I see on the corners and mm-hmm. from what I see on the show. But there was this. Ma- this black man with a shirt and a tie who's, um, you know, professional, who's successful, who have overcame and who have achieved was speaking life into me, was navigating, you know, connecting me to the right resources. Like saying, hey, do this, say that. Believed in me so much that we didn't, t- we were in, we weren't in touch for like a couple of weeks because we were both busy, like at least probably a month or two months. And then when he did reach out to me, what he said to me was, your book is ready without even knowing that to the day before that he texted me i had already sent my cover to the graphic guy to design it so i said to him i said are you prophesying to me right now what you talking about how do you know my book is because i'm like how he know that i'm working on my book because i did he said arraign from the time i know you until now you have a lot of poems in books you have over 80 poems on your blog right now i'm telling you your book is ready and i said and that was the the flag that was the the green light for me to go just hearing him coming out of the blues and said your book is ready with such confidence with such belief like i didn't need to hear nothing else after that right my book was gonna go for because my mentor like he believed in is he a man of faith also yeah he's a man of faith he's a man he believes in god um so we have our, our conversation about that he enjoys the poem um, he believes in transparency. If I didn't learn transparency anywhere else, I feel like he taught me okay. using the tool of transparency. So mentors are super, super vital. Um, well, super- Mr. Mentor, I want to thank you if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast because you have definitely helped shape and develop such a, a, a wonderful man. Um, thank you. Any final words? Any final words? Any final words? I want to say to people, I feel like, you know, this just feel like it's ringing in the air, healing. I, and I feel like people, as people move into their their process of healing, I want to encourage them to be transparent with it. A lot of, for example, when we go into an emergency room, we get the care for what we express, what we for the symptoms we tell the doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we go into the emergency room and the, the, a symptom is not addressed, it's maybe because we didn't open up and talk about it. So we're going in the emergency room and still coming out partially sick because we're not being transparent about the symptoms that we're feeling. Mm-hmm. I want to encourage people that, you know, the healing process in life is like an emergency room. If you go into our, if we go into our healing process without transparency, we're going to come out partially healed. And our goal, our goal should be coming out whole coming out mm-hmm. whole heal fully heal mm-hmm. so i want to encourage you that as you're moving in to your healing process in this stage of life just be transparent with it find confidence in being transparent to allow your healing to take place well brother brother williams <laughs> thank you for your thank final you. words i hope that this message just reaches many out there it's felt like a as you stated on on the previous um recording that we had together like 
this is this is prayer right here, yeah. right? This conversation, this um, and it's and it's one mm-hmm. that that is needed. I'm very blessed to to have met you, to mm-hmm. to know you. Um, I wish you all the best in in your journey. I can't wait to continue to see it just um, unpack and develop, right? More. Yeah. This is just like the beginning, and there's so much more to come. You are a friend of the show. You are welcome here anytime. Thank you. Thank you, um, thank you so much, and thank you to the listeners. I'll send out a questionnaire or message message me if you mm-hmm. want to continue a conversation. We would love to have Mr. Williams back at another time. Um, part three. And yeah, part three, <laughs> part four, five, six, seven. But yeah, um, thank you all for tuning in. This is the Once Upon a Night podcast, and I am your host, Meister Cotton. Have a great one. Have a good one.